welcome to episode 5 of What on Rob Green's Earth. That's right, episode 5. We've officially got a handful now. Way to go me. Sticking with it and whatnot. Sorry this one took so long. I'm in Nova Scotia where the restrictions on the COVID-19 have lifted a little bit. So I've been spending some quality time with my daughter, which was long overdue. We've been playing ponies and drawing pictures and painting stuff. And we watched some movies. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, that's a good one. Scoob, uh, the new Scooby-Doo movie, she loved it. I wasn't completely sold on it, but that's my review. As well as being my reviews is also a slick little segue to let you guys know my friend Skylar from episode 2 and his co-host Hallie have invited me to do a guest spot in an episode of Silver Screen Anomaly, so we're going to keep an eye out for episode 17 featuring yours truly. You should also be keeping an eye out anyway because it's an awesome podcast. And while I'm actually mentioning podcasts, I want to bring up another one that's pretty awesome. Uh, If you get a chance, you're bored, you want to hear something amazing, listen to The Art of Bombing. The Art of Bombing, it's a podcast where comedians tell horror stories of their worst shows and discuss what they've learned from them and try to find success through failure. Something that I'm interested in that I can probably relate to a little bit. I bombed once or twice in my day. Yeah, once or twice. But I digress. If you want to find that, you can check out uh, www.artofbombingpod.com. It's available just about everywhere. Episodes of that are available Tuesdays and Fridays. If you like comedy and you like hearing about uh, people going up and just kind of shit in the bed, this is for you. Speaking of comedians, this episode, I was very fortunate to have a young lady from Minneapolis, Minnesota going to be joining me, Lauren Rice. Uh, Lauren's a comedian. She's been doing it for about a year. Uh, She's also been an active participant in the protests in Minneapolis, Minnesota that were sparked from the death of George Floyd at the hands of a corrupt police officer who, let's just call it what it is, murdered a man in cold blood while his colleagues stood by and did nothing. This is a subject that I wasn't sure how to approach or if I should approach it. I don't think silence or ignoring it's the answer at all. I mean, that's been happening way too much and look where that's got us. This has continuously been building up pressure and tension, and we have reached a breaking point. We are, right now, having one of the biggest teachable moments in our history. I think it's time for a lot of us to educate ourselves, to listen, to be open to being better people. I'm not saying I'm perfect here. I'm not saying I've never done or said anything inappropriate or laughed at an inappropriate time or not taking something seriously enough, I think we all have. And if you're going to tell me you haven't, I'm probably going to tell you you're full of shit. But we need to educate ourselves, and we need to learn. I mean, personally, if I were to say something that were out of line or not accurate on this, I'd hope someone would point it out to me. I have enough social media on this podcast that I'm not hard to reach. I welcome it. I want to continue to learn. I want to continue to work on being a better person. I think we all do. That's how we progress as a society. We need to stop emphasizing shit like all lives matter. No kidding, you think, yeah, but all you're doing when you say that is trying to dilute what's going on right now. You're not trying to change the focus to a greater enlightenment, you're just trying to tell some people to shut up. And yeah, violence and riots and shit sucks. But we need to stop acting like peaceful protests were the answer, okay? Peaceful protests are easily ignored. All anyone's doing by telling people to protest peacefully and that this is not the way is just saying, just do your thing quietly, get it out of your system so we can ignore you. 
this whole movement is not anti-cops or anti-police. It's anti-corrupt cops and anti-corrupt system that allows injustices like this to go unpunished. We gotta get that straight. Yes, there are a lot of good cops who do a lot of good things and protect a lot of good people. What the message is, to reform the system, to weed out the assholes who are just there to abuse their power and they have no regard for life and act with malintent, just the same as the people that they're claiming that they're trying to protect us from. Every time a black person is killed by the cops, the police and the media have got to stop trying to cast a negative light on them like they did with, say, Mike Brown or even George Floyd bringing up transgressions of their past, no matter how major or minor. Let's get something straight here. Brock Turner raped an unconscious girl behind a dumpster, and he was taken in peacefully as can be. George Floyd was being arrested for possibly passing off a phony $20 bill. If the color of his skin scares you so much that you have to resort to deadly tactics to arrest him, you shouldn't be a fucking cop, plain and simple. That's what needs to be fixed, and there shouldn't have to be worldwide riots to get these guys arrested and charged like the criminals that they are. There is a widely posted quote by uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Cooper. He states, If violent crime is to be curbed, it is only the intended victim who can do it. The felon does not fear the police, and he fears neither judge nor jury. Therefore, what he must be taught to fear is his victim. And that applies right now. In too many of these instances, the felon doesn't fear the police because he is the police. He doesn't fear judge or jury because that's part of the system that lets him walk freely and continue to perform his job. What's going on now is shocking the system of a lot of places into reform. And yes, there are some bad apples who take the looting and the violence too far. I get that. Again, we cannot let the narrative be shifted to dilute the bigger picture. In 2016, a radio personality by the name of Peter Rosenberg just grilled a cop on air about the blue wall of silence over the killing of Alton Sterling. That was four years ago. And now we're finally at a point in time where we're seeing police kneeling in unison with the protesters. We're seeing that blue wall of silence slowly being chipped away. And that's a good thing. I know it's hard to get your hopes up, but it seems like there's actually change happening. And that is something that should be very encouraging to everyone. And let's hope this keeps going and that we move into next year a better, safer, happier world. Before the murder hornets gain power. And that was me rambling on and being a little bit deep, which is, if anyone knows me, I don't think that's something that they will very commonly hear from me. Usually I have all my uh, deep, thoughtful moments crying in the shower, but that's for another podcast. Um, Like I said, I've got a guest coming right now, so... Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, episode five guest, Lauren Rice. Lauren, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing all right. I could use a nap. Yeah. I was saying before we started recording, I am a little bit flustered because there's been a lot going on and now I need to move. So plenty of life stresses. Yeah. uh, You were saying you were living a real life version of New Girl. How awesome is that? Yeah. New Girl lied to everyone. It's not what it sounds like in the show. I moved in with three guys off of Craigslist that I did not know. And literally everyone told me it was a bad idea, but I didn't listen. I just went for it anyway. Zoe Deschanel wouldn't lie to me. I don't think she wrote it though. No, probably not. She just took the paycheck. Yeah. So you want to tell everybody what you do? Yeah. I do stand-up comedy and I've done improv for a few years and I also run competitively. 
I write as well. So I do a lot of different creative things and it's kind of an unusual combination of things, but I keep myself entertained. Right on. How long have you been into any and all of those? Well, I started running competitively almost 10 years ago, probably like my junior year of high school and then ran in college and I'm still on a race team now. So that's been a long time. Stand up actually just started this year, so it's probably the worst time ever to start. <laughs> it's a pretty rough time to find gigs. I'm, how are you finding? Yeah. How are you finding any of the online gigs that are happening? You know, I naturally reach out to people. So when we have been quarantined, I've been trying to reach out to people through social media since I can't meet strangers in in real life interactions. So that's kind of how I've been finding opportunities to perform or practice. There aren't a lot of good opportunities online. It's just not the same as in person, but it really helps me make sure I'm still writing. So I think that's the one benefit. Yeah, I, uh, I've done a couple and I find that at first I really ate shit. I didn't realize how much I feed off a crowd when I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and then kind of after that, I'm like, just go with it. Do your bits like their lines and just hope that people are laughing on the other side. Yeah. It's definitely not the same. How much were you performing before uh, the epidemic hit and the whole world went on hold? For stand-up, I was doing open mics like at least four or five times a week. So it was kind of a hard transition, especially when you get used to seeing all those comics almost every day. You're like, oh, my, all my people are gone. <laughs> How was that coming along for you? feel like you were progressing? Yeah, I definitely feel like I was more comfortable. So I had an advantage from someone just starting stand-up bra because I did do improv for several years before starting or even trying stand-up. So I am a little bit more comfortable on stage than someone just walking off the street and doing it. But it is so different to have something that you've thought out or you think will make people laugh and have it be all yours that's so different from just like being in the moment and responding to what other people throw at you. Like, of course that's helpful for doing stand up well, but it's just a very different mindset. So. Kind of help you nail some hecklers that way. Yeah. Hmm. I think that is a good advantage of having the improv experience for sure. When I started out, I was just someone who was kind of funny with my friends. And when I'd meet people, uh, one of my gigs is I work private security. So you get used to talking to people and talking them down and, the easiest way to get someone to calm down is to make them laugh. So I tried it and I realized there's a big difference between being funny on stage and just being a funny guy. I yeah. Kinda, I kind of joke, uh, just recently on my Facebook, a memory popped up from my first ever open mic. Cause like that was four years ago. Yeah. So I always kind of tell people like, Oh yeah, I saw that pop up. How was that? I said, well, I've been doing stand up now for about four years and I've been funny for almost three that's pretty good. I, I talk to a lot of people who are more experienced who say it takes like 10 years, seven, 10 years before you actually get something together that makes people laugh. Right now, I feel like people are laughing at me when I'm not trying to be funny. I don't know if that's a positive thing or not, but hopefully the things I actually think are funny will come across on stage eventually. I think it's just a takes time. And that's just something you're going to absorb into what you're doing as well. I found with mine... I'd write a bit out, I'd get it perfected in my head, I'd go up and I'd do it a couple times and it wasn't quite where I wanted it to be. But once I say it so many times in my head, I'm kind of making smart remarks in like the little pauses as I'm talking. I'm like, fuck, 
that'd be a good punchline. So it's one of those things where you get to wear it a few times and then you kind of, I guess you're kind of heckling yourself a little bit in your head or you're thinking of something smarter than you first did. So it's a repetition. Uh, yeah, that's so funny too, because I think a couple of the times when I first went on, I tried just telling a story and everyone, I was like so pumped about it. And everyone in the audience was like, thank you for your interesting story. Like that's not <laughs> funny at all because I wasn't setting it up correctly. They don't know anything about me, so it's not funny to them. I didn't set up the story at all. That's awesome, lady. It'd be sweet if I was there, but yeah, good for you. Yeah. I, I ran into that a couple of times myself. I found if you can incorporate a story into the theme and use it as a callback, then you don't really need to set it up, like set up punchline. It's just something that can apply and that kind of gives them a grasp of it, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Also, I, I can't decide what style of comedy I like more. So I float between different styles. And I think that confuses people too. So I'm hoping that I can figure it out with time. Who are your favorites uh, before you got into it? You know, that's the other funny thing is I haven't spent a ton of time watching or researching stand-up. I was one of the strange people who I didn't really even go out to the scene that much. I just showed up and went on stage. So a lot of people will go to an open mic four or five times, even up to a year before they actually go on stage. But I was like, all or nothing, just going to go for it. <laughs> there aren't a lot of stand-up comedians that I was really closely following. I obviously like Amy Schumer, I really like Ellen DeGeneres and Zach Galifianakis. But I can't, I can't even name a bunch of names because I haven't watched that much of it. I really, honestly, comedy that I watched really consistently would be mad TV type stuff or those kind of really dumb skits. <laughs> Sketch comedy. S yeah, yeah, SNL type things. So I find when I'm writing, I have to avoid watching comedy just because I'm like, oh, let me read this joke over. Oh, that doesn't sound like me at all. That sounds like George Carlin now. What the hell am I doing? Let me scratch that out. Yeah, that's what someone told me is actually an advantage of entering comedy the way I have is that I haven't done a lot of research, so it'll definitely be easier for me to make sure it's my own style. But now I'm trying to watch because I'm like, okay, what I think is funny is not coming across, so I'm trying to learn from other people and people who are more experienced, but who knows? Yeah, that's something that I'm really hoping to do is get working with more experienced comics, go up, do my little opener, a little set before them, and then just really watch and get some feedback. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. It's something that I think you constantly got to be learning at. Like, I don't think anyone is just, okay, I'm done learning. I'm a perfect comic now. Yeah, no way. That's with anything in life, for sure. If you feel like you're done learning about something, then you probably need a new activity. You get bored, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what kind of style do you, uh, do you tend to lean towards? Right now, I've kind of been leaning towards deadpan. Actually, since quarantine started, I've been doing dance videos. So I teach people how to dance well, but then I dance very poorly. That's been my favorite lately. I always thought it was the funniest thing ever to show up at different college parties where I didn't know people. And I would just come with my friends and then start dancing really poorly, but then act like I thought it was really good. <laughs> So just like super serious face, you know, but just things flailing and not moving to the beat at all. So I've had someone ask me once, it was the funniest thing when I was dancing and mind you, I can't dance until I get a few drinks in me. And they said, like, did you start out the day as a statue and you're about three quarters of the way of being human? Like, why are you so stiff? You're just, ugh, it was awful. 
That's so mean. What in the world? Yeah, so many people are afraid of dancing. And I feel like that's the saddest thing ever. And that's part of why I did this whole dancing thing is like, I want to tell people it does not matter. Like, you don't have to be good at dancing. Just like let your arms fly around, you know? No yeah. one cares. If you're bad, they'll laugh at you. And maybe that's why people don't do it. That's yeah. why. Uh, me and my friends, we're a bunch of ball busters. So that kind of... When someone gives me a comment like that, I just find that funny now. Well, that's good. You were at that place in your life. Yeah, yeah. Um, my shame has slowly vanished with my self-awareness and remembering to rewind VCR tapes before I take them back to the rental store. I don't believe that your self-awareness is bad if you're doing comedy. <laughs> uh, no, not bad, but, you know, there's things that... Like, definitely when I was starting out, I was like, oh, I shouldn't say this, or I was overthinking uh, that someone might take that the wrong way. Yeah. But, and that kind of helped me evolve. I'll do a style where I kind of aim towards talking about things that are regular occurrences, but it's awful. And if you saw someone doing it, you wouldn't say anything, but you'd be thinking, what the fuck? Yeah. I had a lady once come up to me after a show, and she's just kind of staring at me, and I was like, oh, hey, did you, uh, did you enjoy my set? She's like, oh my God, there's just some things you, you talk about that you really shouldn't. And I was like, well, why? I mean, there are things that happen every day. She's like, yeah, but you just don't talk about it. And I said, well, oh, that's hilarious. I'm like, well, if it happens every day, maybe it's the kind of things we should be talking about. And she's like, oh, I guess that's your point. And I was like, oh, there you go. You got it. So That's really funny. I love when people have some good criticism after the show and they don't have any idea what they're talking about. It's one of my favorite parts of it. Like, it's just afterwards when I'm done, I'll go and I'll get a beverage or go to sit down and someone will come up and they'll have some kind of input or some back and forth. And I'm totally open to talking about it too, because I might get something from that, like a point of view that I hadn't thought of that might make that bit better at some point. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes people are just hilarious. Oh, usually they are. <laughs> I think so many things are funny that the average person is like, that's not funny at all. <laughs> What's the best uh, after set interaction you've had with just uh, like an onlooker? Oh, uh, let's see. For the most part, people have been pretty positive. I remember after one open mic, I was like, I quit. I'm done with this. I got off station. They were like, no, 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 calm down. So that was probably <laughs> my favorite because they were so like, you just need to keep getting on stage. You're definitely overreacting we are in a pizza shop and no one's listening to you you can't get a read off of this line just eating our yeah. pizza you your, your nice background noise keep it up yeah exactly no literally no one listens to you there it's really funny i don't know why i was so worked up there but that was probably my favorite i, I can't think of oh it's also funny to me when people are like your third thing you said was really funny and i'll be like what <laughs> like i have to think through like what was third did i yeah Shush. Not helpful at all. <laughs> I should have numbered my notes in bullet point or something. <laughs> yeah. Plus, uh, like, being an improviser, I could have said four different things I didn't plan on saying. And then I'm like, okay, what was third in that? I had a guy come up to me once, and it's probably my favorite after set interaction ever. This was just after the point where I was starting to get paid a little bit to do some sets, which is awesome, by the way. And this guy yeah. comes up to me and he says, hey, man, uh, do you write your own stuff? And I'm thinking like, that's a compliment. I'm like, yeah, man, I do. He's like, oh, okay. And he had this kind of like, eh, I was hoping you, so I said, okay, you've obviously got something you want to share with me. What's up, man? 
lay it on me. I might be able to take something from it. And he says to me, and there's like a crowd of people around just completely shameless. He's like, so, uh, I watch a lot of porn, you know, like, like, like anyone. Anyway, there's this one porn star that I'm really into. And I just noticed the other day, her feet are always dirty. Uh, what? Yeah. I was like, well, he's like, yeah, you know, like I click back a few videos and I look and it's just like the bottoms of her feet are always dirty. And I was like, okay. And he's like, I just, just thought you could do something with that. Wow. Yeah. Great observation. Yeah. And I just, yeah. nothing I could use for a bit, but that there just struck me as hilarious at the time. And then he got so me to go back funny. to his friends and like the bartender and the three people that were in earshot were all just having that moment where we're looking at each other. Like, what the fuck? I've had so many people be like, oh my gosh, I have jokes for you. Like random. When I tell them I started doing stand up where I do improv, they're like, ooh, 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 you can use this. I'll tell you a story. And then they tell <laughs> me a story and I'm like, that's not funny at all. And I have the I'm the worst at fake laughing too. So it's so noticeable if I don't think something is funny. It's so awful. For a while in my dating app, I was like, just just don't even try to make me laugh because I'll probably hurt your feelings with the way I respond. <laughs> not a good chance to laugh. Do you find when you started doing stand-up, more people try to make you laugh when they know you're a comic? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's the same thing with them telling me jokes. It's like, come on, man. Would you, like, challenge Michael Jordan to a game of one-on-one -on -one basketball? <laughs> yeah. Mind you're you. like, I do this all day. <laughs> Mind you, I'm not saying I'm a Michael Jordan of comedy. Yeah, no. Yeah. None of us are. I'm sure Michael Jordan's probably really funny, though. He seems really competitive at anything. I feel like if you challenged him to be funny, he'd just lock himself up for a month and just come out and you'd be busting a gut. Probably. That's a mentality you can't get rid of. I haven't watched The uh, the Last Dance yet. Have you watched that? No, I need to. It's on my list of things to watch, which I don't watch a lot of things. It's terrible. Yeah, I've got a whole like, quarantine list I'm working on uh, that's the worst when other people are like, how's this joke about this celebrity? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm not your audience. Sorry. Come on. I just learned how to say Galifianakis without reading it phonetically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Speaking of celebrities, we do a segment on here. And by we, I mean, right now, you and I, it's called Celebrity Smack Talk. Yes. How so do you, excited. <laughs> you're so excited. <laughs> I sense a little bit of apprehension in your voice. Would you like <laughs> yeah. Would you like to take a swing at this? Yeah, let's give it a go. All right. Who you got? Okay. I'm, I'm going to go for the people who are on The Bachelor as a general group of people. Is that allowed? Judges? There's nobody else here but me to judge, so I'm going to accept this. Okay. So I guess their voices annoy me. They're just like generally very fakey and... I tried to watch the show when my friend, I was telling you, from high school was on it, and I could only handle it for five minutes total. I was like, sorry, Whitney, we're just gonna, I don't know, I can't do it, I give up. But then I, I told you earlier, I ran into her, and she was like, oh my gosh, hi, like, we should definitely hang out sometime. And I was like, oh, whoa, no, let's not. Like, your, your voice is totally different. I don't even understand what you're saying, right? So that type of stuff annoys me where it's just super fake and all about the way you look and 
I don't know. That's decent. That's like firsthand encounters with the people you're talking about. Yeah, for a SmackDown. Usually that is how I like or dislike people is based on how they are in my presence. I've had a somewhat of a similar experience with elite athletes who all see them in elite starting areas or at start lines for events. And the ones who can't tolerate the stress of that very well or are kind of short or rude with people before races start, then I really think a lot less of them. I remember one race, the shuttle bus to take us to the start line was super late and showed up on the wrong side of the hotel we were at. You could see certain elite athletes just freaking out, like trying to get a hold of their agents, like, I am not going to get a complete warm up in, and this is going to be a terrible race and I'm never coming back here again. Just super dramatic. <laughs> and then I immediately, I thought it was funny. I I'm sitting there laughing probably mostly at their reactions, but the whole thing was pretty funny because like the, we're the main people they want to get to the front of the starting line, you know? So it was hilarious in general, but usually female athletes are more like that who you can't even have a short conversation with before they get to the start line because they're so like, so tense <laughs> but those people i also do not enjoy as celebrities i like unfollow anything they're doing and anytime i see them like publicly do something i'm like ah whatever Ooh, mr Lottie da doing his thing with eight different selfies about it yeah or i don't know it just seems hypocritical when they share something that doesn't line up with what i've seen but i actually still like to follow the bachelor people because i enjoy mimicking them I think it's hilarious. Did you ever uh, break out some of your uh, comedic chops on these guys and roast them a little bit when you're having to deal with them? Yeah, I definitely, I can't stop joking. I joke wherever I am. So I definitely will mess around with people. I'll probably make fun of them to other people around me instead of like going to their face and being like, screw you. You provide the commentary on it. Yeah, definitely. Oh, this guy, look at him. He's so prim and perfect. I bet he folds his toilet paper carefully and powders his butt after he wipes. Yeah, no, seriously, those those elites are on another level of like, I brush my teeth at 10, 10. I do this at 11. I eat my snack at this time. It's just like, boom, 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 boom. But you know what? A lot of them are better than me. So who am I to say oh, what's right there? <laughs> I bet you're happier though. Probably because I'm not as attached to the outcome of certain events. I think that's definitely a benefit of being more laid back about it. I'm like, listen, there's more to life than one race. There's more to life than one show that we have. Yeah, that's definitely a mentality that I've had to learn to adopt. Like if I had a bad show, I was just like, oh, I'm a hack. I need to stop doing this. Yeah, it's yeah. being an athlete, I feel like helps with that type of thing too. I think you definitely want to feel the emotion of having a bad show and process it, but you don't want to dwell on it. So it's same thing with having a bad race you you're like okay why did that happen was i hungry was i overtired or with a show same thing actually was i hungry was yeah. i overtired <laughs> <laughs> did i have a little few too many in the green room with the other guys while we were laughing and joking do you drink a lot before shows I, normally i do have a few drinks before shows i okay starting from when i was a kid i get stage fright yeah most and, people do yeah when I was a kid, I uh, I remember I went to this big spelling bee for like my area. It was like this huge thing. There's an audience and a guy with a big setup and a microphone. And I was out like my second word was, I think it was like a five letter word. I can't remember what it was. My dad knows he would tease the hell to me about it right now if I brought it up. 
but yeah, like ever since then I froze and I still get that feeling sometimes when I go up. So like a few just kind of takes the edge off. Yeah. So I don't drink that much in general. So I don't usually drink before going on stage. I've had like one drink, but I am such a lightweight that I'll be like, like, oh, what? I don't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> How are you guys? I've definitely mellowed out on that the older I got, but like back in my like college days and just after I did my share of partying, I definitely did your share of partying as well. And yeah. probably anyone has done my share of partying before, like two years ago, I could probably count it out on my hands. How many times I had had a drink. Yeah, if anyone ever tries to bust your chops about it, just tell them, you know, me and I got you covered. I know this guy, Rob Green, who's been drunk enough for all of us. You know, it's funny. Most people don't in person give me crap for it. They think it's weird for sure. And like when I was younger, people definitely would leave me out because I wasn't a drinker. It's like a lot of people that I interact with say that I'm like permanently drunk or permanently high, just the way I like go through life and don't worry so much about what other people think about me. My dancing too is another reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would dare say I'm middle-aged right now. So like, What I'm do you in, mean? <laughs> I'm in my mid-30s, so I guess that's middle-aged. If you know I, I feel like 40s is middle-aged. I'm creeping up on it, so. 50. 50? <laughs> 40 to 50. I'm not going to live to be 100. My mom the other day was like, we should be living past 100. I feel feel like if I don't get some kind of terminal disease, I'm going to die in something that's like really sad at the time. But when people talk about it, like three, four years after, they'll get a good laugh. I guess that's the most I could ask for as a comedian. I have a chance of dying by a dumb risk I take because I do take dumb risks. And that's usually how I injure myself. Like my latest injury was from goofing around on a water slide. So I am a health. I know it was kind of a boring water slide. So I was trying to spice it up. And then I hurt myself. So I probably won't try that out again. But that's how you learn, right? Someone's going to break that water slide out again. And you're going to be, I remember what I did last time to get hurt. So I know what not to do this time. And you're going to go for it. You're totally right. I know exactly what I did. I do stuff like that all the time. Those last nine times I got hurt real bad. But this 10th time, I'm going to be more careful about it. And then then you're like, bam, injury. (laughs) Yeah. The 10th injury is usually to the head. And I don't remember what I did that 10th time. So I'm doomed to repeat it. (laughs) That's so funny. So I've got a question for you. Do you think that there are any stupid questions in the world? I think there are stupid questions. Yeah. Here's what they are. The questions where people know the answer already and they're just doing it to be mean. Those are stupid questions. Oh, I don't like those questions. Those those wouldn't make a good podcast segment. No. But you know it would. We are told in life that there are no stupid questions, but I'm about to hit you up for five of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So, so, so the question is, are you ready for five stupid questions? Yes. <laughs> as long as they're not the type we just talked about. All right. Question the first. Can you name my living room for me, please? Your living room? Yeah. Charles. Charles. You didn't even hesitate in that one. How did you come to Charles? It just feels right for a living room. Like a kind of like a kingly name, you know. That was very well thought out. I really like that. I think I will call my living room Charles. (laughs) Yeah. Let's go to Charles. Hey, second question. In Taylor Swift's Bad Blood video, which crew would you be on and what would your name be? Uh Uh-oh. So she has her, like, friend crew as part of it, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, whatever that is, I feel like I would be part of that group, the the friend group. The Taylor Swift group? (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> because I honestly can't remember the rest of them. <laughs> All right. Well, what would your badass Taylor Swift friend name be? Lorraine. <laughs> <laughs> I've never met a badass name Lorraine. Until today. <laughs> Until <laughs> Well played. I guess that really constitutes two questions. Next question. If you were a magician, what's the first thing you'd make disappear? That's a good one. Like, let's say I'm a straight ma- magician. I would, I would make something people have on them disappear. That would be the coolest, I think. So they're like holding a purse or something, and then I'm like, poof, it's gone. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> That's probably the worst. <laughs> Just <laughs> stealing from people. <laughs> You're just actually describing what a street magician does. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Do they take their purses? I think they give them back for the most part. Yeah. I think if they don't give it back, they're just called a thief or a pickpocket. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like a bad magician. But that would be the most interesting, right? You're like, oh my gosh, that was just on me. How did that happen? (laughs) Uh, Actually, I was in Victoria, British Columbia once. Yeah. And there's this guy performing in the street. He was standing on a mailbox, like you know how they got the slanted tops, balancing barefoot on a basketball with an open two liter bottle of Sprite on his head, juggling lemons. Oh my gosh, did you get a video of that? I didn't, would you believe this was before all our phones had cameras? Oh, I believe it, yeah. Yeah. I'm also very bad at remembering to record things. I've gone on fun trips and taken like two pictures of ducks in a park that was where the <laughs> grass was dead. Like I can be so terrible at remembering that kind of thing, so. Because you live in the moment. Yeah. It's a blessing and a curse, I guess. I guess we'll uh, hit up the fifth question. Are you ready? Yes. Would the roads last longer and require less maintenance if we made them out of rubber and our tires out of asphalt? No. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I think of a lot of weird things when I'm bored. Yeah, I'm just, I'm thinking really logically that no. (laughs) (laughs) Because it would smoosh it down, right? You know? I'm not quite sure how that would work. Like, would you just have to patch your tires up and get asphalt tires more often? Or like, it would wear, it would wear the roads away. The wrong thing seems like it would be bouncing because you need the rubber. Well, if you think about it logically, it becomes more stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And that is my problem with most things I think of in life. (laughs) It's also gotten me a few funny looks every day since I was like six. So, so totally worth it. Yes, absolutely. Um, you also, uh, I don't know if we mentioned this, you are in Minneapolis right now. Yes, we haven't talked about that yet. We haven't. Do you mind if we dive into that a little bit? Or? No, we definitely can. All right. Uh, I guess basically the first question I could start with is like, how are things there right now? So it actually has calmed down a bit. There's still protests going on every day. Now they are for the most part, peaceful protests. There is a lot of National Guard presence here, which is so strange to see military all over the streets and helicopters flying through and whatever their fancy military trucks are called. I was calling them all tanks, but that's apparently not all their names. But all those like camel looking things, I was like, oh, you're gonna (laughs) blend in in the streets of Minneapolis really well with your things that are prepared for like desert or like actual war. Ma'am, get out of the way. Don't you see our rig? Well, how am I supposed to see it? It's camouflage. It's blending into these streets and buildings. Are you really telling me you cannot see our vehicles? No, I just didn't (laughs) want to hurt your feelings because you went to the trouble to paint it camouflage. Yeah, and their outfits. 
oh my gosh, these, it's been like 80, 90 degrees in Minneapolis and these guys are fully suited up, like heavy equipment, backpacks, guns, everything. It's crazy. It was, it's also really strange. A lot of businesses are closed and boarded up. So to get food, we're like driving out to the suburbs basically. And then there are a lot of organizations popping up to help feed people who are right in the city and can't get out to stores, which is very cool to see. But there, that I guess is one cool thing about having a crisis like this is you get to see people respond and how kind and generous people are when things like that happen. You've been out at the protests. Has any violence broken out near where you've been? Yes. So I am actually trained to do legal observing, which basically just means you go and watch the cops or other law enforcement and make sure they're following the law with how they are enforcing different things. So like, for example, they need to give three warnings before they start using rubber bullets or pepper spray or any of the crowd control things. Actually, so I'll sometimes attend protests as a legal observer in that role. And then other times I'll just attend as a supporter of the cause. And I was at the protest on 35W when a semi drove onto the highway. And that honestly, supposedly it it wasn't intentional, but it was so traumatic. I've never experienced anything like that. The, The crowd separated as fast as it could, but he did bump a few people and people got hurt screaming and running away from the gas tanker coming through the highway. So it was so scary. And then everyone on the other side of the highway, which I was on the other side, there was a cement divider between me and the semi, but I was less than 10 feet away from this huge semi just ripping through a crowd of people as it was parting. It was so scary. And then we didn't know if another car was coming from behind or why, if people were screaming and yelling for some other reason, some other violence that was happening. So that, that was wild. How do you find the mood amongst the crowd? Like, is there a lot of tension, a lot of fear that things are going to escalate quickly? Or is everyone just being steadfast in what they're trying to do? So yeah, that was interesting to me because I actually have been at a lot of different protests even before this happened. I went to a lot of the Standing Rock ones and I was involved with the Philando Castillo and Jamar Clark, some of the other ones. The mood for this one was very different. It was very... It was much more tense and the level of anxiety was so much higher. And I couldn't tell if it was just because of COVID, everyone wearing the face mask, or if it was just representing how much more serious the issue had become and how fired up people were about it. Because the first protest, or I think it was the second day I was at a protest, I ended up leaving because they started to throw things at the police precinct to try and damage the building and then the cops came out and started tear gassing so that was another time when I saw it get violent where it just went from peaceful right into violence and that's scary to be around because in that case the cops responded again really quickly without warning anyone just pepper spraying which is not according to the law but how's the uh, reactions of the police evolved throughout all this are they still uh, escalating things quickly or is that kind of dying down a little bit too. You know, I feel like it is a bit calmer now. I don't think it's because of the police. I think it's just because the protests are more calm. The police are doing that strange thing where they kneel for a picture just to kind of show their support. So that has been a weird reaction from the law enforcement. 
because I don't, I don't feel that it really says much, but in Minneapolis here, we're actually starting to see some big changes. So a lot of different organizations are cutting ties with the Minneapolis Police Department. For example, Minneapolis Public Schools will no longer have any cops on their premises. So where do you think the police will go from here? Hopefully it's top to bottom reform. Basically, I think they need to develop a new method of protection because that the racism and the mistreatment of people and the abuse of power is so deep and systemic. They need to really redo the whole system. Yeah, I 100% agree. I was mentioning to a friend of mine the other day that like I'm thinking somewhere down the road you know like when I'm an old guy and someone's gonna ask me do I remember the riots and I'm gonna have to say like which one because I remember just being a kid watching the news back LA Rodney King oh yeah when that city just went crazy and I mean like I said here I am middle-aged guy now and I'm still watching the same things it's one of those like I like I don't understand it at all I can't wrap my head around it and I can't imagine being there you know like I know all these stories constantly happen and then nothing ever coming from it It, you kind of wonder like what did they think was going to happen eventually like you you can't just sit and just take this over and over and over and over and over and over again yeah just ignored all the peaceful protesting just completely like yeah carry on with your peaceful protest because it doesn't affect us doesn't bother us yeah, like Colin Kaepernick, he took a knee in a peaceful protest and they were just like, fuck you, you're not playing football anymore. Which I was like, good for you, Colin, because there is so much more to life than football. That's the same thing I was saying earlier about athletics. I, but the other thing that is very cool to see is that they are revisiting qualified immunity, which is what protects people like the cops from getting charged like a normal person. So just because of their role, they're immune from getting these charges normally. And there are other people who have that same sort of immunity, like doctors and social workers. But I think that removing that would actually be a good step towards making all those people more accountable. So like doctors who are doing malpractice and then social workers who are not doing the right thing for children they're supposed to be protecting, that's going to be huge going forward. I'm hoping it brings systemic change like that because the Supreme Court actually has a chance to remove qualified immunity this week. That's my big hope right now that they do that. Yeah, I've got my fingers crossed on that. I'm speechless. I don't even know what to say. I can't imagine living in the state of fear that black people have been living in. Like, I've heard people say, like, you know, like, I get pulled over, I'm scared to get a ticket. Black guy gets pulled over, he's scared he's going to get shot. It's not okay. No, like, that's, like, I have friends that, you know, like, that I've been close with in my life that I care about. Like, I don't ever want to have to say to, like, one of my friends, oh, what happened to so-and-so? It's like, oh, he, uh got pulled over and then the cop got nervous because he moved suddenly. It turns out he just sneezed and he shot him six times when a simple Gesundheit would do, right? Like that's like, I don't ever want to hear about any of my friends getting, even not to that extreme, but just the way they're treated or like pulled aside just because of the color of their skin. Like, holy fuck, it is 2020. Like we're not in caveman times anymore. I don't understand how this is still a thing. I know. It's pretty wild. What's good to me also is that more and more people are recognizing that it's still a problem because I think most people want to ignore it. But to me, it's like if anyone is treated poorly, that affects you. That's just my personal stance. You know, it doesn't matter who you are or how you're being mistreated. It's important that you're treated well. It should be widespread common sense enough now that certain things aren't right. Like I don't understand how somebody could 
see all this and I understand the constant stories you're hearing about the police just pulling people like over like oh hey you're black you probably did something get over here like it's just we had a big thing in Toronto a little while back there's a journalist lost his job and then wrote a book just about the way that they collected information on a lot of black citizens and how he said that yeah when they reformed how they were doing things he said okay well you should be getting rid of all of the information that you've collected that way too like you can't just keep that Yeah. yeah that's the interesting thing about that third precinct being destroyed all those documents, all those cases, all those files are gone. <laughs> so they have to start over. Which is not a bad thing. Like, like you said, everything should be reformed from top to bottom. And I think this should be a huge reset on how things are done, how things are handled, how things yeah. are judged. Yeah, definitely. At first, when it started happening, it literally felt like a war zone here. And I had an experience that I, I already was like, I'm not used to this level of anxiety with COVID and people being quarantined. Everyone's stressed because they can't interact with people in a normal way. That's kind of what helps keep you healthy. But then this happened and it was like another, yet another level that I didn't think I could reach of anxiety, a collective anxiety. I'm hoping this is the most bizarre year I ever lived to see. Well, it's so strange because I think all of us are used to confronting different struggles in our own life but when it's unanimously affecting everyone it's so bizarre i feel like it must be setting everyone up to move to a new level of awareness and understanding because that's the only way i can wrap my head around it yeah i mean like you look at how the year kind of started off and how everything progressed like one step by one step like okay uh covid19 you guys got to stay in this thing's probably going to pass but we should you know wash your hands stuff like that that should be calm you know like um but um yeah but now it's like hey maybe we should start treating people equally and based on their character and actions and not their appearance like just things oh, that what are a, what a neat idea yeah like all these things that are fundamental like i'm just waiting now for a couple months the big crisis that has people using their turn lights when they're driving that would be a big one for me that's so funny i'm the worst at merging because i'm lazy about checking my blind spot <laughs> so I'll like turn my blink around for a really long time and then go over or I'll just like go over last minute and then people hate me as long as you're using your signal light I can I can live with that it's when you don't use your signal and you cut out right in front of me and you road rage at them oh yeah in my mind you know what I'm driving a I'm driving a 2000 Cavalier that I just can't seem to kill so I keep running it it's not that valuable of a car if I drive it up back your bmw because you can't use your signal light that's funny how's the uh pandemic effect and everything out there honestly the pandemic feels so minor compared to (laughs) everything else that has happened within the pandemic i guess i guess i will say that some people are not going out to the protests who would normally be out there which (laughs) is mind-blowing to me because they're so well attended. I just see these posts and stories now. Hey, like, look at all these people gathering. We're not hearing anything about COVID-19 anymore, as if this proves that that's a hoax. And I think people are missing. It's like, you know, that's still a very real thing. They're still wearing masks. But, you know, this year is kind of more important. Like, COVID-19 just popped up this year. Like, this is something that's been going on. Like I said, I it was the day after my birthday when, in 1992, I was watching... LA burn on the news just in awe and like here I am like deja vu and it shouldn't be this way anymore 
let's move on to some more fun stuff. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you get anything like you want to plug like social media wise or anything you do any online stuff coming up? I actually kind of pushed back from a lot of the stuff I was doing online when these protests started so that I could go to those. But you, people can definitely follow me on Instagram is probably where I post the most stuff. You can add me on Facebook, but my handle on Instagram and Twitter and the Snapchat actually is it's Lauren Rice all together. ITS Lauren Rice. No and spaces, then, no apostrophes. Nope, no nothing. And then I am on TikTok because I had a lot of requests from people who really liked my dancing to go on TikTok. So my TikTok name is Lauren Rice is funny. Again, most of my stuff is on Instagram. I do a lot in my stories. And then I'll probably post when hopefully we get back to going to live shows soon. I can post in there. Yeah, get some clips up, get a YouTube channel going perhaps. Yeah, I have a YouTube channel, but I haven't done a ton with that yet. Oh, not worth plugging yet? No, (laughs) (laughs) not really, not quite. Maybe we'll have another chat in season two and then you can plug the hell to YouTube. There you go. Perfect. All right, I won't keep you any longer seeing as how you're hard on the hunt to get out of your nightmare new girl situation it's not a nightmare it's just definitely not ideal we're all thinking nightmare yeah yeah i i just kind of stay in my room and we're all good when people come to me with feedback listening to this i'm just gonna have everyone speculate just exactly what goes on and how awful it is (laughs) yeah you could really come up with a lot of bad things i'll just say i did remove one of them from my facebook friend list recently (laughs) Holy shit, it got serious. He got, so ma- he got so mad at me, too. It was so funny. <laughs> I was like, I just didn't want you creepy on me. It's bad enough you're creeping on me in person, especially when yeah. I lock myself in my room. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll be out in a little while. <laughs> you make it sound like a prison thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so the one last tradition we have on the podcast is there's a little bit of, like, outro music. And I don't want to cue it myself because I feel like I'm going to fuck it up if I do it. So basically, if you can say hit it in the most entertaining way, that would be okay, super right appreciated. Now? Whenever you're ready. Hit it! Or I can try a different voice. Hit it! <laughs> Charlie, hit you're like it. bachelorette girl voices. Oh. Hit it! Can you hit it? <laughs> All right. You got to pick one and go with it. Pressure's on. Oh, okay. Hit it! Hit it!